Welcome to the 43rd episode of Medical Talks, and it's great. Uh, it's a great pleasure to host for a second time uh, Rajiv Tumala, Head of Digital and Data uh, at Asia and Mina at HSB Security Services. Rajiv has been with HSBC since 2018, and he has been in- instrumental in helping establish HS- HSBC as a leader among financial service providers in the digital asset ecosystem. He's engaged with clients and financial market infrastructure providers to create solutions for custody, issuance, and asset servicing of digital assets and tokenizing traditional assets. He believes that future all assets are programmable assets, bridging a step change in efficiencies to the asset servicing ecosystem. Rajiv, welcome back again to Medical Talk. Thank you, Shemus. Uh, it's wonderful to be back, I should say. A lot has happened in the last two years. Uh, and, you know, let's basically have a conversation around what's happened. You know, what did we talk about two years back uh, and, you know, what the future holds. And before I begin, I think I would like to wish everyone a fabulous 2024, uh, a year full of happiness, peace, uh, giving, and growth. That, that, that's super. Yeah, it, I think the, the last time we spoke was October 21. And, uh, you know, that was one of our early, early medical talks. And I think you had some profound predictions or profound statements that are, let's say, provocative statements, particularly from a bank, that everything will sit on chain at some point all assets will will sit on some some form of ledger um interesting you know two years later we hear that almost as a mainstream thought now so we've really as you say things have changed a lot in the last two years um some things though haven't changed tokenization still hasn't taken off um you know it's always been i joke often joke that it's been the next 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 year's opportunity for the last five years um so I think I'm going to pose it to you. When will this take off? When will tokenization be the, the thing that actually um, fulfills its promise? Please? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's important for us to sort of reflect on you know, what did we speak about uh, in the uh, in the October 2021 talk. Right? Yep. We did speak uh, about you know all assets uh, all assets would be represented as digital assets in future. Thankfully, we did not put a timeline. <laughs> Uh, in that conversation, uh, and we spoke about uh, programmable assets and you know ledgers that are programmable or ledgers that enable programmable assets. Now that uh, that definitely has become mainstream right now. We you know everyone talks about you know programmable ledgers or unified programmable ledgers. You know assets being real world assets being programmable is also a mainstream uh, thought. So we sort of we got some things right. Uh, when it comes to sort of tokenization and tokenization of, you know, either financial uh, market securities or you know real world assets, that definitely, right? So we have to say that while they are taking a larger share of mind uh, and thought in this ecosystem, they've not taken off as much one would hope so. And I would basically say that, you know, I, I'd like to take uh, a view of. Uh, what I would call as a platform shift and a paradigm shift. Um, and platform shifts have got to more to do with enabling infrastructure. Uh, and, you know, one of the primary reasons, I believe, uh, is that we did not see the enabling infrastructure take significant adoption, right? So that is probably the word. Without the adoption, you can't basically have applications taking Mm. taking off so and blockchain or distributed ledger technology um, is both 
it does require right it can uh, be looked upon as a platform shift of how the financial market infrastructure runs right what platforms is financial market infrastructure running on it is a platform shift and you know then it also enables a paradigm shift of how you deliver how you issue uh, services on the top of that infrastructure so with more examples right so you can see that there could be one or two platform shifts that enable a a big paradigm shift what has happened here is we had both running in parallel in case of blockchain over the last 8 years right so let's basically take off in 2018 uh different applications that sort of predict paradigm shift sort of take off but then they don't scale as much uh yeah. primarily because this is supporting infrastructure uh processes governance does not come along and then you know while it runs for a bit you know there's no scale so then sort of but it proves an important point of the implications of coming paradigm shift and that's been very interesting uh, from my point of view saying that okay how does some of the activities that we perform today you know how are they poised to change what implications do we have how why is it a step up right it's uh, the the positive thing is it it's not theory you actually see in practice uh for some applications right so it be defi uh, on public blockchains they show you what is possible yes there are the assets that we are uh, primarily we want to be participating are not yet there right but they show you what is possible but i do say that it is not taken off primarily i would say that the platforms that would enable the adoption have not gone in and the other thing uh, let's basically take an example i think we spoke about it before as well cloud right so mm-hmm. even cloud when it comes to financial markets or financial services industry itself they had to create uh, a financial services industry specific version of cloud right so there are domain specific infrastructures that would come in right so to basically speak at a slightly higher level and the platform shift would happen when you sort of customize the infrastructure and now in form of uh private or permission blockchains or infrastructure that is currently being enabled by firms like metaco you know that offer enterprise grade solutions and but that is inside the firm or on their cloud the adoption is sticking up look at the number of enterprise clients you have today shameless versus mm-hmm. where you were in 2021 number of the activity that is going it sort of tells you the direction uh of travel scattering momentum you know we always want to compare ourselves with the fastest growing thing in the marketplace right they're all in yeah. direct to client space they all acquire like you know chat gpt 100 million clients in in couple of weeks right so yeah it will not be of that nature because you got to look at a couple of segments in the economy healthcare financial services are quite heavily regulated so platform shifts do take time and hence paradigm shift will also follow through but got to be patient We've touched Rocky a little bit on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, clearly, I mean, clearly, as you said, the market to market the past two years, you can see the, some of the other say platforms emerging, but you, you've kind of, you've come in to me privately before, basically that you see paradigm shifts in, in a number of phases and you've touched on a little bit of what you just said. Can you be more explicitly go through how you see those phases? 
So I think, you know, for so there are two types of paradigm shifts right, that don't have legacy governance processes, you know, mm. uh, or assets created uh, from the activities, you know, either today or in the past. Uh, I and and you know something completely new sort of takes off, right? So, uh, as as an example, or you know, we can basically look at, you know, how you so you have to have. I believe that paradigm shifts happen in sort of three phases, right? So, and those you got to have infrastructure to transition in the old, all right? So, or the current, and then. And that would give you ability to transform the way mm. you do. You're still doing the old way, but you transform the way you deliver services, right? Yeah. So first is transit transition, and then you basically transform, and then only uh, the paradigm shift comes through, which is to reimagine things how you do. So if you primarily imagine, if you were a ride-hailing company or a taxi company, and then the smartphone came through. Uh, your app never would have thought about, you know, how you basically order a cab today, which is via your mob, uh, you know, on demand, right? So you still have an app, right? So you transition, you would have an app to book, or you would have have an app to call, or, or you know, text. My location is this, and then you would basically do uh, a, a chat with someone on the other side of the infrastructure and then they, they'd get a cab you could not you were not able to track the cab coming to you that is transition for me new infrastructure a bit more convenient and then comes along you know a bit of transformation right so someone says hey i can sort of show you uh where your cab is how in how many minutes it's coming through and then you know at some time you basically go to this on demand you know even the price changes demand Yes, search pricing and everything—that's complete reimagination, yeah. right? It's three phases. So you transition your old practices onto new infrastructure. You transform, and as you transform, you know the 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 incumbents that are sharp are the new entrants, right? So that's the good thing about yeah. platform shifts is you it, they open up an opportunity for breakthrough uh, to new entrants and incumbents uh, as well, right? So it's about now the curve, where you are on the adoption, etc. For some segments, again, financial services, regulated, you will have to basically wait till the hype. The Gartner hype cycle is there. Uh, yes. You know, during the steep phase, is the incumbents, the incumbents probably are a little behind. The new entrants are the ones that are going, but, you know, as the thing sort of, the hype dies down and they go into this stability phase is where the incumbents start to gather movement. Uh, and then, you know, there's, there's primarily where you know, post the hype phase is where I think you'll have abundant of talent for you to sort of work with. You know, I think speculation in the hype phase um, sort of establishes a capacity for that particular technology, yeah. right? So all those things happen, and and that is when I think uh, paradigm shifts happen because there's enough capacity that was created due to the hype. So hypes do have a silver lining, I should say. They, their speculation leads to capacity. Uh, and then that primarily sets you up nicely for the paradigm shift. But you know, you you got to be thinking through these frameworks to say, uh, you know, the value is established. You know, sometimes not at scale, uh, and you need to look through that. It's funny you talk about the Gardner hype cycle. We often talk about you know a lot of good comes out. I mean, you get that investment in building the infrastructure. 
uh, that first phase. Now, if we bring down that kind of phasing to tokenization, you think about uh, infrastructure to support tokenization. Clearly, tokenization is more than just issuance. I think I've heard you say this many times. It's more than mint and transfer. There's a whole ecosystem around it. Now, we've seen a lot of firms, uh, you know, firms such as HSBC and, and some of your peers build out digital asset capabilities. Is the baseline infrastructure there now so we can be begin to think about scaling and managing the full life cycle of a tokenized asset? I think I would primarily say that the baseline infrastructure that covers the entire life cycle, right? So we're not basically, like you said, right? Mint bond transfer is the easiest part of the asset yeah. life cycle, right? So, and sometimes I think what we actually look at, the when we actually look at the entire life cycle, it sort of holds us back, right? So we are not, we just look at the amount of work that is to be done and then inherently the large organization cost structures are not <laughs> then someone will basically right. go out and calculate uh, yeah. the investment required to completely transform, right? So again, sometimes we make uh, ourselves, uh, our job pretty hard by basically looking at the cost of transformation or looking at the cost of reimagination versus we, we sometimes sort of uh, tend to overlook the transition phase. Uh, and, and that's primarily where I think we have to begin with, right? So for me, it is healthier to look at the transition stage to have the uh, minimum viable infrastructure uh, in place uh, and work with assets that you know, right? So the challenge with uh, distributed ledger technology was suddenly created assets that large financial institutions were not known to be working with. So their right. you know, platform shift itself is hard, right? Getting in new platforms, getting in the infrastructure to represent your traditional assets as programmable securities that itself is challenging and now we introduce a new asset class uh, or <laughs> you know uh, you know add regulatory uncertainty to to it right so you know those things are additional challenges one has to go through but now we are clearly seeing um, everybody recognizes the potential of this particular technology you know the efficiencies it can bring uh, yep. And and more importantly, I think it sort of enables accessibility to assets. So you don't need to go out and create uh, a new algorithmic asset. You can basically take the traditional asset, you know, yeah, and owing to efficiencies and removal of overheads, you can begin to trade small tickets, right? So I do think you know, the part of the world I live in, I just call it the growth, <laughs> is going to be there in low-value, high-volume businesses. 90% uh, of new growth is going to come from there. Uh, and traditionally, all of big uh, institutions are used to be doing relatively high-value tickets and low-volume. Low and new growth is in the other end of the spectrum. Uh, and technologies like distributed ledger technology actually remove the overhead of that. The infrastructure is not yet there, right? So we have seen significant upgrades uh, to the infrastructure, uh, but... I don't think it is at a place where you could call this is this infrastructure is commodity, right? Or this infrastructure is not. It's still looked upon as right. speciality infrastructure when nobody baits an eye uh, an eyelid when we talk about you know a mobile app or the need to develop a mobile app. And it's it's not the whole of the uh, smartphone ecosystem is fifteen less than fifteen years old, right? It's two thousand seven when the first iPhone came through, and that was the breakthrough. And look at the number of new businesses that have come through because that 
they were enabling infrastructure, right? Mobile succeeded because, you know, there was chip manufacturing that basically come through, battery technology came through, cloud came through, and all of them put together created, you know, maybe two or three platform shifts that enabled that huge paradigm shift. And that was, again, right? So we should not remember, you should not forget that that was direct to consumer, and that's been the hallmark of, you know, anything that has happened after 1990s. The new technologies that got adopted were direct to client. And blockchain also was the same thing, right? You had a huge wave of yeah. client adoptions. This and, and, and now large institutions realize that there's a whole segment of clients that are native digital, and they want instant settlements, instant payments, instant almost everything, right? So produce value as close as possible to the moment of demand. And, the, you know, uh, distributed ledger technology is, is one of uh, the enabling things. So, yeah, it is coming through that the infrastructure that is required for completely supporting the asset life cycle is being put together. I don't think there is any library. You know, one way to look at it is, are there any software libraries on blockchain that fully support the asset life cycle. I just need to take and tweak. I, I mean, oh, yeah. you and I know. No, they don't exist yeah. today. And that is, a, that is a sign. Maybe it is an opportunity, but that's a sign of uh, uh, missing uh, missing infrastructure, right? I don't need to be plumbing the gaps of... Asset model is fully in the public domain. Everybody knows how a traditional yeah. asset behaves, yeah. right? But, you know, to basically move to transition... Going back, I need infrastructure that basically models an existing asset class. Maybe the S&P 500 starts as, as uh, you know, instances of programmable securities. Are, it's not available yet. So we are going to probably, you know, the settlement cycle should shrink. That should create the demand for transition infrastructure. It'll come through, right? So we are seeing markets moving to T plus 1, T0. A lot of these pressure points would uh, would mean that we'll have to come to an enterprise provider like you and say, hey, I need a, a new core banking ledger that is going to support uh, all these features, right? And then you know, the commercial opportunity will come through that, I think. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pencil you in right now for another appearance two years from now to see if we mark to market this again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we obviously, you know, speaking of the time this, these things take to happen, we first started talking in 2019. Uh, you and I basically. Yes. So it's been a, a four-year journey with HSBC. And I know internally you've been an evangelist um, within HSBC, you know, one of the largest FIs. I mean, I would describe it as, you know, 15, the aircraft carrier, I'm sure, is in many ways is kind of the, the theme. You've been educating stakeholders, securing buy-in from that journey. You know, I think, you know, given our audiences typically from your peer peers at other organizations, large organizations, is there any advice and any 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 takeaways from your journey how you can get this done? Because you finally I achieved. It's just be in in this now, basically, right? Yeah, we are in, right? We are we are traveling. We are on the path. Yeah. Uh, but I think the way we have approached again, that's going back to it's a platform shift for managing assets, right? So that's primarily has been the. Uh, I don't think two or three years ago I was so clear, right? So or maybe five years ago I was not. The way we actually saw it, and we do have a large asset servicing business, and that helps us understand fundamental changes probably a little better. Um, and because if you're heavily front office focused, there is a lot of low latency activity out there, and you think that right. you know what else is there uh, out to sort of outshine 
or uh, I know what would a platform do, right? So whereas if you have a large asset servicing business, you don't just buy and sell the asset, you basically end up servicing its life cycle. Yeah. Uh, equities never expire, bonds, you know, pretty long. And then you basically get to see a variance since the blessing of being in Asia is not every market, not any market is the same as the other market. So you, are, you always think that technology is required to harmonize. And one of my takeaways or in the in very initial day, my exposure was I just looked at the ledger and say, hey, this is a new type of uh, doing ledger technology. It's a simple thing. Uh, we had books as ledgers at some point in time. You go to an HSBC branch, they'll basically, there will be a picture of a ledger that they used when the branch started about 100, 120 years ago. And then you, you databases came along. And then, you know, after a while, uh, the 70s and 80s, they became the source or the platform for creating ledgers, right? So, and then we ed- we ended up recording asset ownership, asset attributes on these databases, right? We went in from books. The transition was that you basically modeled your data model or database tables and everything on what was there in the uh, in the physical books. That's the transition, right? And then and then and then you know it basically came along uh, neatly, I should say. But when I saw the first potential uh, programmable security, I just thought that today's securities are dumb entries in a database, right? So they just are not very intelligent. We automate, but we automate how we manage like asset life cycle is uh, a lot of independent or you know discretion discrete discrete independent steps automated and then there is handover. But right. uh, the the asset itself does not manage its life cycle or it's not a program. And then we didn't have that infrastructure. And when I saw the DLT, the only thing I said is this is own this is primarily a platform shift towards better ledgers and creating better asset formats. That definitely resonates, right? So you can say, you know, natural progression, we have done these things in the past, this is not new, and, yeah. you know, we need to, we instead we know, okay, uh, you know, how did we do the last time when we all moved to electronic registers, right? We knew that it was a, uh, you know, uh, it is an ecosystem play, you need to be able to work with financial market infrastructure, we need to be able to uh, work with clients, and also, right, so, because it is, and initially, I strongly believe that it will be a platform shift followed by a transition. So the end clients may not immediately see the benefits, right? So if you're investing in, you might not see the benefits. So the immediate impact I thought would be on market infrastructure and, you know, participants in the market infrastructure. But then crypto came along and it basically, it ran with that, you know, decentralization. Uh, the same technology used for different purposes. The core also was, you know, sort of lent towards that particular aspect. I sort of caught the public attention, then it sort of grew in. Uh, and then uh, suddenly from a platform shift conversation, that was like, oh, this could be a paradigm shift. But the assets were not there to support the paradigm shift, right? So two or three assets, you know, and then, yeah. you know, the hype cycle came through. Now we are, I think we are in the stabilization phase. It's funny, you know, yesterday, SEC did approve 11 ETFs. So that world is coming back into the traditional finance uh, and ETFs and everything else. So I, I do hope that that will influence, right? Then the technology will have influence on how we do that, you know, uh, our own operations and processes and what kind of infrastructure we should be having. So it did, now this is this coming towards the melding of 
the technology and you know process it there there will be more exposure because of that so making the case that's evolution uh, natural natural evolution it's a natural evolution in natural evolution of the process uh, and once you start to approach that as a platform shift uh, and that will take some more time because we are in a heavy re- heavily regulated space uh, right so that sort of adds to yeah. the pace right so it's slightly slower and uh, and i am still looking for a you know a provider or a solution got solution out there in the market that can replace thousands of desperate ledgers that we have in banks like ours right so you know maybe that is the upl that will get the unified programmable ledger or you know some other form but you know i i'm that is the opportunity i believe again as you say when we speak in two or three years time we can look at is that infrastructure <laughs> available yeah yeah that's true so if i if given that you've as you mentioned before you've embarked on the path now and you look outside in the ecosystem uh or you look in the market rather in the ecosystem um we often hear things there are certain issues like always brought up that there there's no standards yet there's there's a lack of standards in the market and that's inhibiting growth is that true or how do you what's your perspective on that no i think standards and adoption are two interesting aspects right adoptions adoption drives standards i think infrastructure drives adoption i think what is sort of for something to take on uh, i think you need to have what i would call the digital picks and shovels right and then typically uh, you know everyone in the ecosystem does not make the digital picks and shovels you go and acquire digital picks and shovels and then we all go to mine right so as they say in a gold rush if there is a gold rush uh, you sell shovels <laughs> and then you know in we are in the digital economy and we'll probably be looking at uh, uh you know digital infrastructure so there is so this is all sort of interlinked right so a blockchain infrastructure i would be i, I firmly believe uh, that infrastructure based on blockchain principles blockchain thinking uh uh is the digital is one of the digital uh picks and shovels for the digital economies that will take off i don't think there is enough of them today uh you know for adopting by any enterprise or otherwise uh, and then from there comes adoption as more enterprises come through and and standards are primarily a function of adoption i think as more people sort of start to think uh you know so the early adopters are are, are the ones that basically think and form yeah. standards and that makes it easier for later adopters to come in and participate right so that's how i see picks and shovels infrastructure adoption early adoption i mean given the lessons we have learned early adopters will basically drive some kind of standardization which makes it easier for the late uh late movers to sort of easily adopt right so low friction and it's less effort on their part i mean it's a very sensible uh, explanation you know expanding a bit on you know other ecosystem questions i mean there's there, there's the the debate um around public and private chains and uh you know in terms of tradfi adoption we often hear tradfi or reg, you know regulators of tradfi um often have concerns about public permissionless chains over performance potential resiliency and of course accountability when things go wrong whose throat do they choke basically well well you know we've seen a lot of banks build private chain infrastructure but uh that by definition is fragmented and has not necessarily been tested at scale given it's mostly new technology um and you have by definition you're creating silos again so things like interoperability become a challenge what are you what are your views on this how is this going to evolve where are we how do you how do you view it now and how do you think it will evolve over time Yeah. 
So you got to basically take a step back and look at. Do not assume that the private chains are the ones that are going to be there forever, right? And then banks are all basically, you know, always going to be on private permission chains or, you know, financial market infrastructure. You got to basically look at when a new technology comes. You as a large regulated organization, how do you sort of get comfort, uh, and how do you learn uh, to sort of use this? And a byproduct of you know that engagement and education uh, is a permission blockchain. And and as you sort of get comfortable with the technology, uh, you know the enterprise architects sort of looking at it and and saying this has to be uh, you know incorporated into our architecture stack. Everything else. Uh, so there is an organization learning curve. Uh, that needs to be scaled. That need you need to yeah. pass through, and and I when I say organization learning curve, it's not just the technologists. I do believe it it is the risk stewards in our organizations, the operations team, the product team. I mean everybody, right? So that is the organization learning uh, curve, and you have to take their people along, and which is very similar to the journey that we have gone uh, in our organization over the past three to four years, right? So. Activity based on permission blockchains basically gets us comfortable around what the technology is, how does it work, and then you can sort of easily understand by analogy how a public blockchain works without actually getting instances of public blockchain into your organization, right? So it is, I think, a form of education and engagement, and constant engagement definitely leads to probably a bit more trust as well with the technology, with the concepts, right? So. Not everybody is going to be a programmer writing smart contracts, but easily you will understand the implications of assets being programmable, smart contracts, servicing, and you are looking at this in a safe and secure environment. Your clients come in and participate. You have your other peers come in and participate. You're demonstrating value that potentially can accrue, right? So, yeah, and, and yes, that sometimes, as you correctly point out, it can be a digital island. You'll have to go through additional governance processes to get people on. Uh, and you can only work with newly issued assets on this particular infrastructure. Yeah. You have not yet thought through how to transition your entire infrastructure onto this transition, the assets. But that is a very essential step. So I think they do a, a lot of service in terms of helping organizations coming uh, to terms with this new technology, especially where there is a lot of, I think, regulatory uh, ambiguity on public blockchains. Now that is also going away, right? So that's been the hallmark of, yeah. I think, the 23 and 24. We speak about regulated public blockchains or open interoperable networks in Singapore. You know, uh, layer one, GL one, the concept of global layer yeah. one was introduced in November. So it sort of tells you, right? I don't think that comfort would have come to a lot of participants in the ecosystem without having their own experimentation, engagement, doing MVPs. Some, some I think, private chains will scale, right? So I absolutely have no doubt. There will be a form. It's like, it's like various kinds of infrastructure, right? So you have public cloud, you have private cloud, you have hybrid, same thing, right? Uh, you will you, you'll have different forms of this infrastructure uh, and different organizations will be comfortable uh, engaging with different types of infrastructure. And as adoption goes, I I do think that you will need, in order to address the, the the fracturing liquidity, you will need to figure out again with adoption comes the need for standardization, 
I think you can't have the same format of asset in all all kinds of infrastructure. So you will need to figure out interoperability. And if you really look at it, interoperability is a fancy new term we we discover we basically float around. But I would say every you know no bank has the same no two banks have the same core banking infrastructure. Of course, <laughs> yeah, right. And even, even a even single bank, company, they're different. Yeah, right. Even a single <laughs> yeah. bank does not have the same core uniform yeah. backing infrastructure. And we do interoperate. These systems do talk to each other. We use some kind of messaging layer, right? So Swift is a classic right. example, right? So it's it's again, right? So I think sometimes we just think that everything that we do is there's no playbook. There's always a playbook. You got to look at uh, how do you want to tweak it, right? So Swift is the interoperable layer because between many desperate core banking infrastructures, right? So, and 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 as you sort of get onto this new infrastructure, which I hopefully it will be a programmable, distributor ledger led, you know, core infrastructure. What it tells us is messaging need not be the way how you interoperate, right? So you create protocols, and you know there could be a better way of. Uh, in I know transferring assets, interoperating, it, it being interoperable, recognizing each other's standards, because everything is programmable. I I do believe there's better ways of uh, interop achieving interoperability. The other way is to think of uh, public blockchains as that that interoperability highway. So you can do mm. everything that you want on your private chain, and you interface with the public blockchains, and they on the other end. If there's another permission chain that interfaces with the public blockchain, you know you you have an interoperable layer in form of a utility that's not controlled by anyone. The fact is, we have to get comfortable with infrastructure that is not owned by anyone, that is truly distributed. That's something that we you know not all all of us are yet comfortable with in the ecosystem. We understand what it is going on, but that's primarily where the choke points are right now. And to what to what degree? I mean, I think those are super points. I mean, to what degree do the regulators, when they provide these safe spaces for for institutions, what have you mentioned Singapore? Obviously, they've been quite quite proactive in Hong Kong as well, and elsewhere. How, how important are those safe spaces, you know, sandboxes, for that sort of evolution there, for that evaluation process to get the comfort with you know, the yeah, I think they future, give you yeah. I think they give you a very safe space to sort of. Adopt a new technology again, right? So, this is a very uh, you know it needs a safe space to sort of prove that you know how do these scale? You know how should one also look at uh, the activity that is being regulated uh, and understand where the potential risks might be, right? So the one thing that I do think is when you start to begin use newer technologies, newer risks are introduced. There's absolutely no doubt, right? So Maybe you you end up addressing some of the risks that are known in a much better way, but you also and sandboxes are probably the place where you endeavor uh, to to figure out or to move the unknown unknown uh, into the at least the known unknown or you know it becomes known yeah. and then you sort of plug the gap. But they do <laughs> they do act as that kind of a safe space where you're translating the unknown. Uh, into something that you can work with, uh, and and critical right. So the early movers there, I think we have to owe a lot to them because they are the ones that are sort of a finding out, b proposing a playbook, 
and getting them to a stage where uh, these are uh, you know addressed so so more adoption actually leads to less friction for the later later entrants but i think earlier entrants can define the paradigm shift right so that's the opportunity they have and they have a say in how paradigms are uh, you know how, how do you shape the paradigm shift that is coming along so i think there are advantages and disadvantages of going ahead or not going ahead but let's let's shift the the conversation a little bit i mean i think one of the you know to think about requirements for tokenization is obviously the infrastructure side but there's that infrastructure extends to how you settle so the fiat lake or some sort of segment lake um I think one of the killer apps or the killer successes in in the in the crypto space has been stable coins. Basically, we've seen um, you know the market cap there grow tremendously, and I think some of the depends on which report you look at. But settlements last year were anywhere from six to eleven trillion, basically, right? So this these are actively used. We can discuss the purpose, and maybe for speculation in the West, and maybe for you know a wallet in your phone in, in emerging markets. But it has been a very successful case. But when we look at banks and how they, we often hear, we don't hear so much about. The way that's been shaped by fintechs, which is the asset-backed coins, it's more around tokenized deposits. Now, how do you see? I mean, from a bank, from your perspective, how do you expect this as the banks enter the space? How will they look at stable coins, or or are CBDCs imminent? I mean, how does how do you view this landscape evolving? I think for this infrastructure to take off, right. So one of the things that we would need is one is yes, I can basically put on the pure asset servicing layer and then you know as long as the infrastructure you know has resiliency recovery and you know we're able to sort of prove yeah. to regulators that we can i can put all i can convert all the assets that are that any bank or any institution works with into programmable assets it's a, it's a pure play platform shift so like you're not asked on whether you're running on microsoft cloud or amazon or you know lots of things then this can become it but for it to take off uh, and and also sort of do the paradigm shift, right? It's not a platform shift. You want to get into paradigm shift, you need a cash construct that is native to this infrastructure. And 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 as you know, right, so I do I do think regulations are coming through, right? So now we have had uh, two regulators coming through and, and and basically saying how does the regulatory framework work for uh you know ish, stable coin issuers, right? So that was that's an important piece of the foundational layer i think we need for that right so and then that's coming through and i think you know in singapore during november i think there were two uh, or three stable coins that came through using that regulatory framework and as these things get adopted i think that your the cbdc i i, I mean like yes yeah, a lot of us are interested in central bank digital currencies but i think what will eventually take off after the regulatory frameworks that we are seeing stabilize and then allow to launch is probably the C doesn't stand for central, but C stands for commercial. So commercial mm-hmm. bank, digital money, I think will come through. And, you know, regulators are always having a you know, view into the balance sheet of the banks. Yes, it's in liabilities. The regulated banks are always available. If they end up issuing these things, you know, they basically are away, I mean, they're visible to the regulators, and and of course, that right, every regulatory framework is also saying how will a new entity that is issuing these cash constructs will be regulated. So it's not a very enclosed place; it's an open play. Anyone can come in and issue. I do think that 
we knew there will be incumbents who will reimagine. So that's again, right? So the reimagine phase would come through that. Some of the service cash services that are often offered, and then that's primarily how this uh, infrastructure uh, will take off, right? So the traditional incumbents would probably look at largely transition and transformation, and maybe the new in- new incumbents will start to because they don't have legacy, uh, they don't need to transition. Uh, they will probably focus on the transition uh, transformation and reimagination phases a bit more. But ultimately, as these things stabilize, right, so they'll come back to the core banking question, right? So it is, it'll be like, okay, how do I use my balance sheet after the tech is become, of course, becomes yeah. a commodity, right? So the efficiency usage of the balance sheet is then a bank's, you know, strength. You know, sadly, we're we're coming up on, on time. Yeah. Uh, it's been a super conversation. Uh, it seems almost seems we do do this a lot more frequently than every two years, but I mean. You know, given that we have that two-year marker, you know, I think as we wrap up, it'd be it'd be interesting to hear how your narrative um, has evolved over that journey and where, where you know some thoughts around what, you, what how you see things going forward here. Um, obviously, you've touched a lot about on platforms and transitions and and paradigm shifts. Um, so, but I am I have like, we wrap up. So I am right now. I'm thinking a lot about. I think the. The fact that infrastructure will be available is a given, right? So that's what I'm take, yeah. taking, uh, thinking of. I am actually, these days, I spend a lot of time thinking about the reimagined phase of this paradigm shift, right? So I can't just say whether it'll be five years from now or seven or ten years from now, but it's going to be uh, an exciting uh, phase, I think, reimagination. I, I do think that economy there will be a large impact to productivity, right? So that's what I think in the reimagination phase because one of the, my own reimagination, you know, applications is affordable diversity, right? So I do think for the same dollar I'm investing, I will get more diversity of assets portfolio by portfolio for the same amount of money will have a lot more diversification because again, right? So going back to my earlier thoughts around this infrastructure will allow for a low value and high volume of tickets, so I can yep. probably invest fifty dollars into a private equity fund, you know, fifty into S and P five hundred, and fifty into something else that sort of specializes in emerging digital assets, right? So, I do think, and this also enables newer constructs like NFTs, which probably are more brand marketing, customer loyalty kind of things. Right? And 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 that also gives uh, uh, new economy businesses a, a better way of sort of managing their client and customer relationships uh, the incumbents will also follow through so like it's like being in in probably the 2007 and 2011 and thinking of what will a smartphone uh, create right so our journey might be slightly longer while the pace of change is higher uh, but I, I do believe owing to the constraints that we are in that we have the infrastructure is being put together right so it's still early stages of adoption it's it's a fascinating uh, period of time. I think we are setting ourselves up for and the reimagine phase is what excites me. But I am very very cognizant of the fact that you know we also have we also have to think. And today, you know, some a lot of my thought is around the eight hundred trillion dollar asset. How do they transition into this right. new infrastructure? Right. So that's such a huge opportunity, right? And that that opportunity is what will basically power 
the transformation and 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 the reimagining phase. But I think it is a huge commercial opportunity, just transitioning existing assets into this new infrastructure, and and that's a, that's a big big opportunity. Rajiv, it's an exciting vision. It's been excellent to have you on here, and um, of course, I'm looking forward to our our next conversation in two years time, if not before. Thank you, Shemus. Thanks for joining. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Likewise. And for our listeners and viewers, thanks for everyone for joining and stay tuned for the recording and transcript of, uh, of this super episode. It will be available on medical.com. Thanks for joining. See you next time.